2: From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer.
1: And I'm Marisa Lagos. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Whether you're on your way to or from your Thanksgiving dinner, we are glad you joined us this evening. We
2: are indeed, and we've lined up a couple of our favorite interviews this week, ones that we hope can help you fight off a turkey-induced slumber, Marisa.
1: Yeah, and I think it's safe to say that no matter how awkward the conversation got at the table tonight, you probably weren't opposing your own brother in a ballot measure campaign.
2: Unless, of course... Your name happens to be Anne-Marie Schubert. She's the Sacramento County District Attorney. We talked with her earlier this year about her career, her faith, and navigating her relationship with her brother, Frank Schubert, who doesn't always share her political views, shall we say.
1: That's right. Here's some of our interview.
2: You came from a really big family, I think one of seven.
3: Yeah, you've been doing your research. Um, We can count. Tell us us about your family. Tell um, us about growing up. You grew up here in the I grew up here in 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 Sacramento. I grew up in the Arden area went to local schools. My father, my mom and my dad are both passed. My mom passed when I was 16. She had breast cancer. And my dad passed in 2000. My my dad was an orthopedic surgeon in town. He was really involved right in like He the was very involved, you know, one of the in, in the health system. I think the proudest thing I am of my father was that he was the founding board member of Sierra Health Foundation, oh, wow. which is obviously this incredible organization that gives tremendous um, good things to the community. Um, So I have six siblings. Uh, Where are you in line? um, I'm I'm not the last, but I'm the (laughs) second to last. I have three brothers and three sisters. And um, for the most part, except for one brother, we all live here locally.
2: And you were, I think, a teenager when your mom died, no?
3: I was 16, yeah. Yeah. My my mom got sick. I can tell you to the day, remembering the day it happened. But um, she got sick when I was 12. I was going to school at St. Ignatius, which is a small elementary school here. Um, And at the time... She was given six months, and, you know, fortunately, she lived five years, and she did some amazing things. She was a softball coach, and... Did you play softball? I played a lot of sports. Nice. Um, I was short, but I was, could run and gun basketball. So. Of
2: course, you're, you grew up in a Catholic family. Very Catholic. How did that play out?
1: Do you still go to Mass? I, like, are you?
3: Um, I do. My son, yeah, my older son, uh, on his own, decided to become Catholic, and so... Um, he's su- about what? Fifteen. He's fifteen, and you know, I supported him through that process, cool. and he went in. It was quite a commitment, and so. Um,
2: when when you say he decided to become Catholic, so you didn't raise? How did you raise him?
3: No, I mean, I you know, I don't think it's a secret that I'm gay, and yeah, so we were going to get to that. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure you were, but um, <laughs> but so I have two kids, and I have the kids obviously have a mom, another mom. We're not together anymore, but we're as I say, we're great co-parents. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't deeply religious. I mean, I believe very much in faith. And I've, having suffered the loss of two parents, I have no doubt that at the end of our lives there's nothing more than faith. And so I supported my son in the process because, um, you know, I think it's a good thing. I absolutely believe that faith, no matter what it is, is a good thing and a healthy thing for people.
1: Well, I mean, getting into, as you got older, I know you went to... um, Catholic University, yeah, USF I for did. for law school, um, but you mentioned that that you are gay, and I know your brother was oh, a very here big. We well, he. <laughs> I mean, it's such an interesting thing because when we it's, were researching you, you know, we know your name, right. and we knew your brother's name, Frank right. Schubert, but I don't think I we had no made the connection. We like, yeah. So for our listeners, he was the political director for Prop Eight, which banned that gay would be marriage. The yes on Prop the Eight. Yes on Prop Eight. <laughs> yes. That's right. Um, but you guys still have a good relationship. It sounds you know, like
3: he's he's the oldest. Um, you know, there's seven kids. I love my brother very much. I obviously disagree with him on right. that issue and actually other issues. He he doesn't, he doesn't support the death penalty. I support mm-hmm. it because that's what the voters have chosen. Um, so we don't agree. He's obviously quite conservative. Um, but my brother, um, I've never doubted my brother loves me and accepts me and loves my children. And so we can disagree all day yeah. long on that issue. Um, how, did, well, how did that go
2: over in your family? Yeah, though? I was going to ask. When did you come out and how did your... Was your mom still around? Probably not, right? No.
3: My mom wasn't around. My dad, um, you know, this is a long time ago. You're going to date myself here. but um, I'm older. You know, he was uh, very Catholic himself, so he wasn't so supportive of it. But, you know, to be very um, personal, you know, when he was on his deathbed, I actually wrote him a letter. Um, because I felt I needed to make peace mm. with our relationship. We had a great relationship, but I wanted him to know how much I loved him. And um, he made it very clear to me that I've never done anything in my life that disappointed him, and he was incredibly proud of me. So, you know, I look back on it. I wish he knew my kids um, because they're in some ways they're very much like him mm. and um, all, all that stuff. But um,
2: How did your brother deal with your being gay?
3: Oh, he's known that for a year. I mean, this is not a secret. Yeah. My yeah. I mean, it's not like I, you know, this happened last week. Yeah. I've been like this since. Did know, he basically like right after law school? So,
1: so did he, like, when when the Prop Eight thing was was gearing up? I mean, did he come to you and say, "I'm doing this"? Yeah, did he you did. know? I okay. mean, he
3: actually. I mean, at the time the Prop Eight was happening, which is was in 2008. And you, and you were my. deputy DA at that point. I was a deputy DA, but I also at the time, I had um, thought about running for a judge spot that was going to come open. And so I actually had started kind of a, you know, a campaign thing for it. And because of the rules of ethics related to judges, I couldn't speak publicly about issues that were Mm. pending. And so I was asked a lot of questions about that. I mean, my whole life, I didn't, my brother outed me plenty of times. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It just, it came out. I mean, it's an interesting twist, I guess. Um, But, but I never really could comment on it. Right. At the time that that was all happening, my... My kid's other mom, Julie, and I were together raising our kids, just like any other family, you know, barbecues and schools and trying yeah. to make sure they learn how to behave and not disrupt the restaurant and all those kinds of things. But <laughs> Tell me if you <laughs> figured that one out.
1: Well, no, I haven't.
3: But but so it, it wasn't um, something I could really talk about. And, you know, I remember at one point I got very upset with him. This is a while later when, you know, he made some comment publicly about, about me and I was very upset with him and he knows this because we've talked about it and I think for me what matters the most is that you know I'm no different than anybody else we're, we're all the same at the end of the day we all want to raise our kids in a healthy happy environment and we want nothing better than our children to be more successful than we are and so I've, I mean I would say that we've had a healthy sometimes very difficult relationship mm-hmm. But it doesn't change that he's my brother. I want to come back to something
2: you said a moment ago. And I should tell people, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. I'm Scott Schaefer, along with Maurice Lagos. We're talking with Anne-Marie Schubert, who is district attorney for Sacramento County. A moment ago, you were talking about the death penalty. And you said that your brother is opposed to the death penalty and that you are for it because that's what the voters chose, which made me wonder, like, do you personally have an opinion about it? That's different um, from man, you, know, you really I,
1: skipped ahead. I was—I had like sorry. filed that question for later. No, I, no, I have, but I have the same question. I do support
3: it, but I also—I've um, said this before. I'm not a rabid dog about the death penalty. I believe, having grown up in the criminal justice system, you know, I'm almost at 30 years now, and having sat with family members, and and, um, it's a rare event, you know. It's mm-hmm. less than two percent of all homicide cases in the state that a DA's office seeks it, and but it's also you know, time and time again, that California voters, as blue as we are as a state, that they have consistently said we want it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I became, ironically, I actually got involved in this policy debate because of my brother, because one year, I think it was back in 2011 or so, we were talking at Christmas. I'm like, what are you working on? He's like, I'm working on the death penalty. I go, what are you talking about? I go, oh, are you going to try to help fix it or something? He's Not like, another
2: ballot measure. And he's <laughs> like,
3: no, I, I want to get rid of it. I go, what? Are you kidding me? So
2: that was a surprise. That, to
3: you. that was very surprising. I mean it wasn't like we would get into these criminal justice debates. My brother's not into criminal justice right. as a matter of policy really. And so that's when I first got involved because I'm like, uh, I may not like agree with my brother, but he's on some of these issues, but he's very good at what he does. And so that's when I got involved probably back in twenty twelve with Prop thirty four, which was one of the first efforts at the time to abolish it. The public
1: rejected that. So you're saying the public rejected it, but you also clearly came in on the side that you felt it was worth preserving.
3: Yes, because I think that, I mean,
1: if he looks at the facts of the crime,
3: and, and, you know, you might have to edit some of this if I were to tell you them, because they're so horrific. I mean, when you meet someone like Sandy Friend, whose eight-year-old boy was walking home from school and is abducted by a serial sex offender, and then he's brutally—I don't mean anything other than brutally sexually assaulted— and has been stabbed seventy times, resulting in his throat being slit. Um, and then a jury makes that decision that that's the mm-hmm. dis- that they are the ones that make the decision. So um, I I completely can appreciate people having different philosophical right. reasons, religious reasons, um, but it has been the law of the land and and. You know, if that's the law, I'm going to enforce it.
1: Have you ever tried a case where a family, a victim's family said, we do not want you to seek the death penalty? And and does that play into a decision as a prosecutor? Because we hear a lot during this debate, what do victims want? And I think on the one hand, as a human being, you go, well, of course, the victims need a seat at the table. On the other hand, we have a justice system right. for right. a reason. It's not right. just martial law or whatever. Right. right. right.
3: So um, as a matter of practice, I've I mean, I've had a couple cases my myself personally, homicides. I was in homicide for a long time, but I had a couple where we were going to seek it. And then something changed along the way. Uh, one of the guys kind of decompensated a little bit. So we ended up resolving those for life terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never actually tried a death case. Um, we do consider, I mean, we have a whole death review process in our office that we go through on every case. It's a very formalized process because we want consistency and um you know a lot of people are involved in the decision making process so we do consider victims input does that automatically dictate no it right. doesn't
1: let's go back yeah. to why like what drove you into we're this work out my for a while. <laughs> because yeah we're we're done with frank we're not talking good. about frank okay. no i want to talk well, about he'd why you'd love
2: to talk to him yeah
1: right but why did you like what drew you to this work clearly you're very passionate about it but like when you were in law school um, did you well, think you wanted to be a prosecutor i'm going to give you a confession here um I went to law school for the wrong reasons.
3: I went to law school. I'm like growing up in my little household here and trying to figure, you know, it's... You Not know, we so We all little. went to college right. and, um, you know, I kind of figured, okay, there's two routes I'm going to take here. I'm either going to try to be a lawyer or a doctor. And my dad was a doctor. And I didn't do well and um, I just didn't feel like I did well with blood or science or anything like that. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go to law school because I just figured it was a, a job that I could get that I would have a decent income. And then I went to law school and i don't know a year or two into it i decided to intern for this incredible judge in san francisco named lucy mccabe mm. and i got bit as i say bit by the public safety bug okay. and i realized that this was a pretty cool gig all right well quick move question on. about 2020
1: well um <laughs> your political future i mean what what's next for you do you, oh. do you um, and we should say you were a republican you changed your party preference recently to it's no party funny preference. because you
3: know people are like oh you're just doing it because of you know, politics in California.
1: I mean, I registered when I was
3: 18. I mean, that's what I did. I mean, my dad was Republican. But if anybody really knows me, I am very socially liberal. I'm fiscally conservative. I just, you know, think we should just be mindful of what we spend. But I'm also... Very progressive in a lot of ways. So I just felt very strongly that, you know, I should just align myself. I've never – it's a nonpartisan job. Right. But I got crucified well, then and she tagged. Died. I didn't vote for Trump. Let's be clear. Okay. I've, I wrote in Condoleezza Rice because I believe – That's <laughs> Well, I just think the world of that woman. I think she's incredible, a leader, and I wish she would run. But I got tagged for something that wasn't I – I'm mean, like, quit labeling me. That's hmm. not accurate. Oh, so. Um, I just felt like you know what I should just do what is really in my heart. Yeah.
1: All right, we uh, we like to end on a on a on a high note. So mm-hmm. before we uh, went on tape, we were talking about you know red that wine. we both like to drink a little red uh, wine to relax. So mm-hmm. what's your favorite? Uh, what 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 do you enjoy on your off oh, time? I think I, oh, um, you mean alcohol? Well, or
3: right, in yeah, general. What, um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a pretty outdoorsy person. I like to do things like hiking and biking and kayaking and outdoor stuff and anything that gets you into the fresh air so but on occasion i might uh, have a glass of you'd wine. mentioned your favorite red my wine. favorite red wine i probably should not even confess to this but uh is a wine by a guy named Orrin Swift. It's called The Prisoner. So it's probably ironic, but it's a very good one. Is it from the foothills around here? It's I think it is from the foothills. It's not a cheap bottle. So right. it's a very special type of thing, but it's really good. We'll look it thank up. There's your free advertising. Yeah, no, just <laughs>
1: hey. All right. Well Sacramento District Attorney Anne Marie Schubert, thank you so much Thanks for having Thanks me, guys. Appreciate it.
2: That was Sacramento District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert speaking with Marisa and me earlier this year. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll bring you our interview with Orange County Congresswoman Katie Porter. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio.
0: Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union. Now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
2: And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And on this Thanksgiving, we're revisiting a couple of our favorite interviews from the past year.
1: That's right, Scott. And now we're going to head east to the nation's capital to bring you a recent conversation with Irvine Congresswoman Katie Porter. We caught up with her during a recent trip to D.C. And we started out by asking Porter about her childhood in Iowa.
4: Yeah, I'm a sixth-generation Iowan. My whole family is from there, and I was uh, born on a farm. Uh, My dad was a farmer. We lived through the farm crisis in the mid-1980s, and at that time, like so many families, when there's a financial crisis, my mom had to go to find a new job. Um, She was driving 60 miles um, each way, um, each day to work, and my dad went to work for um, a small bank um, that had actually closed because of the bad loans and had reopened. So I think my interest in kind of the strong families face in making ends meet, my interest in making sure that we're trying to prevent big economic downturns that destabilize families and communities really comes directly out of my having lived through that in Iowa. And of course, we saw all this over again when I was an adult with the foreclosure crisis. Um, And so the work that I did for California trying to help families get the help that the banks had promised, be able to keep their home if they could, and if they couldn't, be able to have as smooth of transition out as possible all of that economic dislocation was really something that was unfortunately part of my growing up.
2: Well, in fact, you ended up at Harvard and you were a student of Elizabeth Warren's uh, who championed the Consumer Protection Act. Um, <clears throat> what did you learn from her about explaining these complicated economic issues in ways that ordinarily, ordinary people can understand?
4: No, I remember very distinctly the first day of bankruptcy class with Elizabeth. Um, I was a third year law student. I was sitting in the front row um, and I remember the door even opening. She didn't say anything, but you could just tell from her energy that she had entered the room. Um, And she gave a terrific first-day lecture. I still have the notes. I use it as a basis of my first-day lecture when I'm teaching bankruptcy. And what she really talked about was the fact that bankruptcy and kind of what we do when people can't pay their loans or can't. Pay off their debt is sort of an inevitable question of having a capitalist economy. So the great thing about capitalism is that it incentivizes risk taking. It creates, when it's working well, it creates opportunity, um, and people can get ahead. They can borrow to buy a house. They don't have to have inherited wealth to do it. But the flip side to that is some of those loans and some of those economic risks, whether it's starting a small business um, or buying a car, some of those things don't work out. And so then we have to have law and protections to figure out how are we going to help people get back up and become productive economically again. And so bankruptcy, it seems like for some people it's a depressing topic. It's about kind of hardship. But really what it's about is about what do you do after the hardship to give people that fresh start.
1: So walk us through, like, how did you get
4: from Iowa to Harvard and then eventually out to California? What was the path there? Yeah. So um, from Iowa, so I, so I went to Yale to college and then to Harvard to law school.
1: And was that expected in your family?
4: Um, so my family all went to Iowa State. So I would say it was absolutely expected that I would go to a college, and that college would be called Iowa State, and I would be a cyclone like my parents and aunts and uncles, and even my grandfather and grandmother went there. Um, The fact that I went to Yale was definitely not expected. I'm curious, Um, like what?
2: Like sometimes people say they had a mentor or somebody that, you know, told them, you know, you should really aim higher. Like, what was it for you?
4: For me, it was um, something that happened to me during middle school, and so there was an academic researcher at Iowa State whose area of research was gifted kids and how best to provide enrichment to gifted kids and what the effect were. On those kids both academically but also socially and emotionally and so she needed research subjects so she reached out to all the public schools in Iowa and said hey do you have a, a smart kid um, that can come to the campus for a couple weeks and my school district nominated me so I spent three weeks on the campus at Iowa State in the morning I took a college level course in writing and in the afternoon they did psychology experiments on me so I learned everything from we did a, a career aptitude test was my favorite one and my number one career came back. Vending machine repairman. <laughs> so you know that could be. If this doesn't work out, that could be an incredibly satisfying career. What was they didn't even two. have the right gender. Lawyer was on the list. Teacher was on the list. I mean, some things that did come to fruition were on the list. But vending machine repair person must have a lot of satisfying elements to it. Um, and so, but that real experience. Then they tracked us for years after that. And so a few years later, um, they sent us a program, a little booklet called Opportunities for Gifted Kids. And so that is is how I then learned about um, Andover, the boarding school that I went to. Um, I knew that my parents didn't have any money. This was the wake of the farm crisis, and so I wrote a little pre-printed, pre-stamped postcard, and I wrote to every single place that said, financial aid available. And I said, please send me information. And so I actually thought Andover was a summer camp. Um, It's actually a year. They do have a summer program. But if you just say, please send me information, they think you want to go for the school year. Um, And I remember that first day at Andover. I'd never been east of the Mississippi. And waking up and, you know, just rushing to the door to see what it looked like. And of course, it looked a lot like Iowa. There was grass and trees and squirrels and buildings and all the same thing. Um, But it was really that early experience in seventh grade that opened my eyes to some other kinds of careers. At the time, growing up in Iowa, probably the best educated person that I saw on a regular basis in terms of career opportunity was actually our veterinarian. Um, And so that was when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian. That seemed like a, a job for smart people, a job where you could help um, help people and, and learn. So. so you go to Harvard Law School, right? And then after Harvard Law School, so this I'm going to go through quickly. So follow me around. This is like, where in the world is, you know, Katie San Diego? So I went to... I started off in Arkansas in Little Rock where I clerked for a federal judge for a year. Um, And that was an amazing experience. He had incredible high ethics and professionalism standards and was really known for being incredibly collegial. Um, And so I took a lot from that. I then went to Portland, Oregon, where I had taken the bar and I practiced law at a large law firm there. From there I went back to Iowa for a few months where I worked at an amazing plant nursery um, while I started writing my first academic article. Um, Then I got a job at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, which was a newly found law school. From there, I went back, I was recruited to go back home to the University of Iowa. um, And I spent four years on the faculty there. um, And as I was getting tenure there, I got asked to do a visiting year at Berkeley. Um, and so I taught at Bolt for a year, and then I was asked to do a visiting year at Harvard. Um, and so I arrived at Harvard very excited about the potential to do in-person collaboration with then-Professor Warren. And I no more than got there than Congress passed Dodd-Frank, um, and Elizabeth got asked to come and and be part of the Treasury Department and help stand up that consumer agency. And then from Harvard, I was recruited by the University of California, Irvine. So I've been in Irvine now eight years, a little more than eight years, and this is the longest I've lived anywhere in my adult life. So this really is home.
1: So uh, during all of this uh, academic building and then work for the government, you... Found time to have three children as
4: well. Correct. So I had, um, I had my children on the tenure track. Um, and so, you know, when I hear now Elizabeth Warren talk about kind of her experience being in the workforce and being pregnant, um, you know, I remember asking Elizabeth, you know, I think I want to start my family and, um, you know, her relaying the story to me about how hard it was for her to be pregnant in the, in the workplace. So I have three children. They are um, 7, 11, and 13. Um, they are very politically astute children. Um, they know a lot about current affairs and a lot about politics. And they're not too impressed with mom. They're impressed that mom knows other political figures that they think are impressive. So
2: like who? Who, who um, is she imp- So who impressed I did a program
4: by? recently with uh, Cory Booker. Um, and my son at the time was a big Cory Booker fan. And so we had to get, you know, Booker merch and all this. My son is, my middle son is a big Kamala Harris fan. He feels like she's our you know, our candidate, because she's the Californian in the race. Um, my daughter is named Elizabeth, so I'll let you figure out who she supports for president. Was so, she named after Elizabeth yes, Warren? Yes, she was. Yes, she was. So it's a very, I mean, my kids, I think, enjoy this, but there's some real hardship for them, too, in terms of my being gone, um, often getting back home. I mean, It's constantly a push to try to get back to them in time to, to have meaningful time with them. Well, I want to ask you about
1: that because something that came up during your campaign um, basically brought up when your Democratic opponents was your very difficult divorce. You had been abused by your ex. And I know that it was you were sort of forced to talk about that publicly, maybe not something that you planned to. But I'm curious. what you brought from that because this was a year 2018 we saw so many women running we saw the me too movement happening i mean what talk about just what it's been like and 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 are you ultimately um Glad in
4: some ways that you've had to share that story. I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, on the one hand, from a public policy standpoint, from the standpoint of making a difference in people's lives, I'm really glad that I was able to talk about it. And even after I got elected, as we were debating the Violence Against Women Act, I was able to tell a story from my own life about the difference between having an untrained versus a trained law enforcement officer and it it, my experience was incredibly different with with two different officers and so one of the things the violence against women act tries to do is to create um, you know skilled trained officers who know how to respond in that kind of situation and i saw firsthand what happens when that when you don't have that kind of training. I also saw what kind of amazing difference it can make in, in helping a family when you do. Um, from my, you know, from a personal standpoint, I think I was worried about the effect on my kids. And, you know, we just convened in Orange County this past week on on Monday, I guess yesterday. Monday, day before yesterday, we convened a roundtable on domestic violence, and one of the things that a lot of the advocates, law enforcement um, folks, family law lawyers were talking about is that really the goal in a domestic violence situation is to to think about it from a restorative justice standpoint. So it's we do want to hold. People accountable. We want people to be safe. There's a role for law enforcement um, in it, but the real goal is to get the abuser as well as the victims the help that they need, so that the pattern can stop and not repeat. And so, in my case, I'm I'm very pleased that my ex-husband um, has a good, positive relationship with the kids going forward, um, and that's something that I that I hope we can continue to think about. How do we provide resources for that? Um, that said, you're a single mom. You're a congresswoman. You're bi-coastal.
1: Like. I mean, we like to ask everyone, men and women, how do you handle your job and the kids? But I mean, I feel like for you, this must be especially challenging. How, what is, is there any routine? Like what what is this like? Because I feel like you've always worked, but this must be like next level
4: craziness. I mean, it's definitely, um, there's an unevenness to this job in terms of being both, you know, you're either here or you're there and you're back and you're forth. And so I find the physical physical travel part of it to be complicated and just to be inaccessible for roughly 20 hours a week while I'm in transit between the two locations, I think is a real challenge. Um, And so one of the things we're doing is we're having conversations with other freshmen and with the majority leader about how can we improve the calendar um, here in Congress? And that's not just a family issue it's also an issue about really using our time Um, and so how can we have hearings that don't aren't scheduled in conflict with each other we cannot be in two places at once and and most of my colleagues feel really strongly that we should be in attendance at those hearings but it's hard to be in two places at the same time. So I think being very organized helps. Having very resilient kids helps. Um, frankly, I couldn't do what I do without amazing public schools. The fact that when I send my kids to school in the morning, I know that they're safe, that they're learning, um, that they're in a good environment. That, that peace of mind is really important to allowing me to then focus fully during the workday on the work that I do.
1: All right, last question. We like to end on a, on a fun note. Do you, in all
4: of your spare time, what do you do for fun? So my most recent hobby is I just learned how to surf um, and so oh, I know I, mean, you... I, I learned how to surf in California um, where we have great waves um, I'm definitely not ready for like the wedge in Newport so I'm more um, of a you know 26th street 25th street kind of girl um, but I, I was a little bit afraid of the ocean I you know, I grew up in Iowa so I'm comfortable swimming in a pool but the ocean is a whole different thing so I had to learn how to conquer kind of shore break how to paddle out um, how to get in the lineup and not let people intimidate me and so It's a good physical challenge for me, and it's definitely I can't think about Congress or my kids when I'm out there. I'm just trying to think about avoiding wiping out. Thank you. Congresswoman Katie Porter, thanks
1: for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.
2: And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio.
1: Thanks for joining us for this special Thanksgiving edition. Our producer is Guy Marzorati. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Jim Bennett, Rob Spate, and Seal Muller. KQED's leadership team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, and Vinnie Tong. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. And
2: I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a great holiday.